all Aaron's idea. It's all sourced from the people and from Aaron, from self. This is not God's plan because it has nothing to do with his spirit. He did it all on his own. And what does he make? He makes a molded calf. And in Hebrew, this means a three-year-old bull. I don't know, have you ever been down to the stock exchange and seen the stock show? Yeah, the stock exchange. It's the stock show. You guys, this is Denver, not the stock exchange. Okay, where they have all the, the, the young bulls. And, uh, and they're just this picture of strength. They're all just like, like they got all the muscles and stuff like that. And they, they breed them to be all just like burly. Anyway, that's what this is. It's a picture of strength. A young bull is what this means. So what this is saying is, we are strong. We can do it. And Aaron is like, let's follow that philosophy. Let's do that. We don't need Moses We don't need someone that can go between us and God. We don't need that. We just need us. We don't need a mediator. Moses was the mediator. We're going to see that next week, how he acts as a mediator in this situation. But we don't need that. We don't need God. We we are strong like bull. Right? Isn't that that Indian thing from something? I don't know. Strong like bull. We don't need anyone because we got us we got us this i'm telling you guys this is the heart of idolatry it's not about something it's about me it's about me i can fill the missing piece in me in fact what's missing in me is more of me that's what i need more of me more me time oh just me it's all about me do you have a question? Yeah. Or are you stretching? Uh, What's your question? Did Aaron get for what he said? Oh, we'll get to that. You got to wait. <laughs> okay. Uh, so more of me is what, this, what Aaron is allowing the people to go. This, yeah, you know what? Maybe it is more of you, more of you. Galatians chapter 3, verse 3 says this. Are you so foolish which is Paul's way of saying, you are completely stupid. If you think, okay, having begun in the spirit, you're now being made perfect in the flesh. He says, how did you get saved, Paul says? You got saved by hearing the gospel that Jesus loved you and died for your sins and you can do nothing to earn it, but believing that he would forgive you, that's how you got saved, putting your hope and trust in Jesus alone. He says, you're an absolute idiot if you think that you can transform yourself at all. You can't. So how do we get transformed? By the Spirit. The same way you got saved, saying, God, I can't save myself. We just come the same way every day and say, God, I can't change myself. Would you please change me by faith? It's not more of me. It's not by the flesh. We don't get saved and then say, you know what I need? More of me. If I just tried a little harder, I can change myself. If I just set up some more rules and I try super hard to keep all these rules, then God will be more happy with me. Has God ever been more happy with you than the day that he saved you? Could he be any more happy with you than he is right now? Can you earn his happiness? No, 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 no. When you are in Christ by faith, he 
sees you in his son, which means he could never be more happy with you than he is right now. His love for you is complete and total and encompasses every part of your life. And all your failures are washed away by the blood of Jesus. And everything you need is found in him right now. And you don't need more of you. And you don't need to fix you. Let him do it all. More of me is never the answer for a Christian, for a believer. It's never the answer. For a human being, it's never the answer. So look what happens. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. So the people, all the people of God, that God brought out of the, like through the Red Sea and saved them from Egypt, they all completely buy into this new philosophy. We can do it ourselves. They all completely buy in. And Aaron, he just makes it their official religion like that. That didn't take long, did it? So Aaron makes a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And so they rose up early on the next day. They offered burnt offerings and they brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And this means Aaron is now just making stuff up. He now says that he's making up feast days where there is no feast days that God has said. He's just making up his own religion and he's trying to take like some of the good stuff that he's learned from God and, and, and he's trying to just make it sound like it. Like, oh yeah, we're, we're Christians, but it's all about what we do. But notice that in, their, in their little things they do here, their offerings, there's no sacrifice for sin. Did you notice that? They have burnt offerings, they have peace offerings, but they have no offerings for sin. Because why? What's the next thing they do? They sit down to eat and to drink and rise up to play just because they want to get they get crazy in sin. They don't need a sacrifice for sin because sin is the whole point of what they want to do. And so eating and drinking and rising up to play is, is a symbolic term that means they were going to indulge in anything they wanted. And, and there's, there's sexual connotations here. There's all kinds of evil connotations of what they were doing. And so they wanted to have a religion where they could still do everything they wanted to do. That's what the people wanted. And it's still what the church wants sometimes today. It's what we want. And what's crazy is that they fill up on all this sin they're eating, consuming food. They're drinking, getting drunk. Then they're having sex, filling up on these indulgence life. Why? Because they are empty. That's why. Because of the emptiness. They turn to an idol and then, but the idol is, the point of it is really self because they think sin is what will make them happy. Sin is what will make them full. Sin is what you're missing? Really? It's not. Sin isn't what we're missing. But they turn to it so quickly. And that's what we do too when we turn to idols. Anything we turn to to fill the emptiness is an idol for the Christian today. 
So let's continue in our text. The Lord said to Moses, go get down for your people who you brought up after the, after the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Isn't that funny how God talks about it right there? He's like, I'm not taking credit for these people. These people are crazy. We'll see that uh, that's not actually accurate. Uh, that, that's not what he feels, but he's making a point right now. We'll get to that later. Um, he says, they have turned aside quickly. Underline that word. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves, what was the source of this? Self, a golden, a molded calf, and worshipped it and sacrificed to it. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you up after the, out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and that I may consume them, and I will make a great nation out of you. Whoa. And that's where we're going to stop in our study today. We're, we're, we're not done with our sermon, but that's the, we're going to leave the story right there because next week we'll learn more about it. God obviously sees all that they've done. And notice he says the word quickly. And I want you to think of how broken his heart is as he says that word. Man, I have, I have done everything. Go back, this entire book, he has, he has seen them, he has loved them, he has saved them, he's done the 10 plagues in Egypt, he went to war for them, he fought for them, then he delivered them through the Red Sea, and then he has given this entire amazing, beautiful tabernacle to picture his continual love and deliverance for them. And they just so quickly turn away and it breaks his heart, Okay. Notice also God's assessment of their state, that they are a stiff-necked people. What does that mean to be a stiff-necked person? Well, let me read a couple verses that, that highlight this for us. In Second Chronicles 30, verse 8, God says, Now do not be as stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourself to the Lord. So I see that being stiff-necked means you don't yield to the Lord. You stubbornly go your own direction, all right? Another verse is Jeremiah 17, 23, which says, they did not obey nor incline their ear, but made their neck stiff that they may not hear or receive instruction. So being stiff-necked means we don't want to listen to what he says and we don't want to receive what he says, Okay? So then he ends and he says, Now therefore leave me alone my, that my wrath may burn hot against them and I might consume them and I will make a great nation out of you. What is this? I thought God was a God of love. Right? I thought we were seeing the character of Jesus in God, this perfect grace and mercy that we've seen all throughout this in all his behavior. Why would he say such a, such a mean thing? Well, we have to wait three verses next week to see how his love and grace come out for the, his people. And it'll be through the mediator of Moses, who is a picture of who? Jesus, right? But here, before you have a mediator of love, you have to have the righteous rejection of sinfulness. God has to reject sin. 
He has to go to war against it. He cannot just accept sin. He is too holy. He's got a holy house, a holy heaven. And if we were go up into heaven sinful, we would get burned up by his holiness and just killed. So he must reject us first. He must reject sinfulness. But then in his love, he provides a mediator that cleanses us and makes sacrifice for us so that we can enter his presence and have having our sin washed away. Isn't that great? So don't just think that he is mean just to be mean. He is holy. And he must continue to be holy. He can't accept anything unholy. So whatever is going to happen to these people, well, we're going to see them. Uh, Jesus next week is going to come. Moses is going to typify, he's going to be a picture of Jesus coming to deliver them and to be the mediator that cleanses them. We're going to see that next week, okay? So what does all this mean to you and to me today? We're going to, we're going to let Pastor Stephen, who is in the book of Acts, chapter 7, we're going to let him teach us our, our lesson for today, uh, what, our application for today. In Acts chapter 7, verse 37, Stephen is preaching, and he says this, This is the, that Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God shall raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. And this is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai with our fathers and who received the living oracles to give to us, whom our fathers would not obey but rejected. And look, it says, And in their hearts they turned back to Egypt, so saying to Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifices to an idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. What did they rejoice in? The works of their own hands. Stephen teaches us very simply that the problem with the people here is that they turned back to Egypt that's why they asked for self-made gods to go before them. It was, it was their hearts that turned back to Egypt. It was the heart of the people that caused them to make a calf, uh, to sacrifice to an idol and to rejoice in the works of their own hands. What we see here is that idolatry springs out of our hearts. Our hearts make idols incessantly. We can make an idol out of anything. And you guys know what I'm talking about. We make idols out of the dumbest things. We make idols out of telephones. We make idols out of boxes of TVs. We make idols out of anything. We can make an idol out of anything. It's because idols birth out of our hearts. When a heart turns away from the living God and rejoices in self instead, we have to produce something. We have to make something. If I'm rejoicing in myself, what am I going to do? I got to do something, and that's what I'm going to be happy with. That's what's going to make me happy. That's what's going to fill the emptiness, the void inside me has to come from myself, and that's what idolatry is. 
It's whatever I turn to, to or whatever I produce to make the, the emptiness go away. In the, in the book of Revelation, Jesus says this, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Guys, could it be that we have left our first love? Have we become stiff-necked? Maybe, you know, when we should be waiting upon the Lord patiently, waiting for him to, to come to us, are we instead looking for our own way to get out of the desert that we're in, into the promised land, we're trying to figure out our own way to do it instead of just seeking God and waiting for God. We make idols. Stephen says later in verse 51 of chapter 7, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the who? Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, you do also. Stephen applies what these guys went through in Exodus chapter 32 to you and to me today. And he says, we resist the Holy Spirit. And it's the same thing they did. We have stiff necks, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, he says. He's saying God has promised you the, holy, the, the, the promised land. That's why it's called the promised land. Because he's promised it to you. Every single one of you, God has said, you get this. As a child of God, you get the promised land, which is just a picture of the victorious Christian life. He wants you to have joy, to be able to suffer with purpose, to be able to be a light to this world. He's promised all of that to you. You get that. But he is the one that gets us there. We can't get ourselves there. And he is slower sometimes than we think he should be. And so while we are waiting the devil is never far away to offer us another path. Just gather some resources, he'll say. Just dig deep within yourself. Break off the earrings. What can your hands produce? Then Satan sells us the stupidest part. This is what has always saved you. He literally tells us, you know what, you've always really saved yourself. Just don't give God any credit at all. And it's a straight-up lie, and we know it, but we buy it anyway. Why? Because we can't see God right now. We're waiting. And in times of waiting, we don't feel his love. That's our circumstance. We don't feel that we're loved when we're waiting. And, and in order for us to feel love, in order for us to know that we're valued, even when we're waiting, we would have to do something crazy. And that crazy thing is you'd have to believe in something unseen, which is called faith. And we hate living by faith. We always want to see what's coming. We want to see God right now, or we want to see an idol in front of us. We just got to see. I got to see where my deliverance is coming from. And God is like, I will not deal with you on that level. You will wait for me. And you will learn that I am an invisible God and I work in invisible ways, but I will always love you. And I will never abandon you. You must wait for the unseen deliverance of God. 
Moses has been up on the mountain for 40 days receiving teaching on how God would gloriously provide for all these people's needs. That's what's been going on. That's the truth. But the people refuse to wait for it because they can't see. They can't see God. So they're like, does God really love me? What a stupid question. God is providing right now for their needs in love. And they just quickly turn to something else because they forget that God loves them. They forget that God loves them, that he would never leave them or abandon them. They just forgot he, that he would fight for them and he parted the Red Sea for them and gave them manna to eat and water miraculously out of a rock. He has done so many things to prove that he's chosen them and that he loves them and they forget. And what's so sad is this exact same thing that I do almost daily. Forgetting how much God loves me. A follower of Christ, a disciple of Jesus, must remember every day that they are loved by God. God's declared it. There's thousands of verses in the Bible that declare it, thousands of stories that illustrate it, thousands of principles that show us his love. But we don't care. We go about our day just thinking, ah, Look at, I have to wait. Look at my job. Look at my marriage. Look at my family. Look at it. I'm just, look at all the stuff I can see. And we ignore and forget God's love so quickly. Just like Adam quickly turned away from his father. Just like Noah turned to drinking, getting drunk, right after he got out of the ark. And just like the people couldn't go one city into the promised land without forgetting God's love and provision and Achan took of the accursed thing. It's story after story after story about how we, as God's people, so quickly turn from our first and only love. And we're given given life and the love of God, but we're so stiff-necked in our hearts that we look for something else when we should only turn to him and wait for him. We feel like something's missing or that we are missing out on something. So we turn to sin and Satan tells us that we would really be alive if we had something else. It's just an apple. You would really be alive. You'd really be what God wants you to be if you you just disobey him, right? But guys, there is nothing more real than God's love. There is nothing more ancient. There is nothing more passionate. There's nothing more relevant to your moments right now, your suffering, your time of waiting. There's nothing like his love. It is the only thing that will truly fill us. There's nothing as forgiving and cleansing. There's nothing like his love. And nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing can drive a wedge between us and his love. Our stiff, stiff, self-sufficient necks don't stand a chance against his love if we'll just wait and receive his love. Romans 5.5 says, Now hope does not disappoint because the 
love of God has been poured out into our hearts by what? The Holy Spirit who was given to us. So in other words, I have a hole in my heart and the Holy Spirit is actively pouring out the solution. He is pouring out the solution, which is what? God's love is the solution for my emptiness. God's love is the thing that fills the void. God's love is the only thing that fills it. He says the Holy Spirit, God has poured him out. Now that was really crazy in Hebrew or in Greek right here. The word poured out is a Greek word that only is ever used in in regards to uh, bloodletting or blood being pumped through something. It's a blood word, which means God replaces our empty blood, we could call it, with his love blood pumping through our hearts. It's like a blood transfusion is what's being described. God giving his love, pumping it into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Another verse that speaks to this is Ephesians 3.19, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So instead of blood, we see the term fullness. We get to get filled with the fullness. No, not emptiness. Jesus did not say, I came that they may have life, an empty life. What did he say? I came that they may have an abundant life, right? More abundant. God's love, the love of Christ here in this verse, is the thing that causes us to have an abundant or fullness in our lives. Forgetting that God loves us is the root cause of idolatry and backsliding. When we are not full of his love, we try to fill up what we feel is empty and lacking with other things, and that is called idols. And we do it with our phone, we do it with relationships, we do it with TV, we do it with work, we do it with so many things. I'm not even going to list all the idols because you guys are so creative, you can make idols out of anything. When we could have been full of the Holy Spirit and consequently full of the love of God, have you forgotten the love God has for you? then we need to pray because I can't communicate it to you. Only the Holy Spirit can pour it out into your heart. But we do need to pray that God would touch our hearts again with his love. So I'm going to have the guys come back up and we're going to sing a couple songs. And during these uh, songs, we have communion right here. But as we, um, as we close our service, uh, and we can't just say, yeah, that was nice. Wow, God loves me. We need to ask God to fill us with his spirit and transform us. And, and there may be idols that you have, the spirit has made you aware of today. Things that you know that you've been turning to, to get that value in, you, in yourself. And 
If that is where we're at, we need to repent and hand over these idols back to God and say, I, I, I don't get value from this. It's fun, it's nice, but I cannot keep living my life with an idol. And so I'm, I'm asking you, just hand over that idol. Just confess it and say, God, I'm sorry, I've turned to other things besides you. Father, we come before you right now. We, we want to be humble before you. We want to uh, repent of idolatry. Thank you for showing us that idols really come from ourselves. Lord, we want to not rejoice in the works of our own hands. We don't want to rejoice in what we do and in how we measure up, but God, we want to rejoice in what you have done, Jesus. Jesus, your, your perfect love for us and your perfect grace and provision, you have gone to the cross because it was your Father's will. You have died on that cross being tortured and murdered for a sacrifice for my sin, and you have risen from the dead to bring new life into my heart. And Father, I will wait upon you forever if it takes. I will wait for that life to appear in my heart. I ask you to bring your life new and fresh into my heart. And I'm going to trust that you hear that prayer and you will come. You will bring your life into me.